I'm Jacob Rodriguez, Editor-in-Chief of the University Star, and you're listening to a University Star podcast. Around here, when you win, it isn't good enough. You know, but when you lose, damn sure ain't good enough. So so what is good enough? You guys need to tell us what is good enough. I guess you get paid to cause controversy, but in this locker room, we're not going to help that call. You, you write that in the paper. You write that. You make money off that. You're carrying on like a legacy, like your last name, you know? The people that did this in the 80s, they weren't doing it just because, oh, they thought it was a cool hairdo. No, they were doing it because they were badass. Hey, guys. Welcome back to episode 13 of Cats Got Our Tongues. I'm Claire Partain, the sports editor, and then I'm here with the VP of podcasting, uh, Andrew Zimmel. Uh, and we're here. We're going to talk about the World Cup for a little bit and stuff like that. Texas State Sports Prez. Yeah. And lucky number 13. <laughs> it is, you know, 13 of these episodes, consecutive ex- episodes. I know when... Jacob and I kind of talked about starting this podcast and kind of getting the University Star Sports back into the podcast scene. I remember I said that if we can get through 13 of these things consecutively, we're on the right track. So So this was the goal here? I didn't know about that. Yeah, no, the goal was when I kicked out numbers, I was saying like 13 podcasts, just doing little analytics Mm -hmm. for you guys, the people that really care about, you know, the podcast industry. (laughs) The thing is, is like if you can do five in a row, that's like 50% of podcasts die after five in a row, 75% die after 10, just to get to 10 episodes. So the fact that we knew that we were going to do a weekly podcast about Texas State sports and a little Mm -hmm. bit of this international stuff that we're going to talk Lula, FIFA, the fact that we knew that we were going to do it every single week, I knew doing 10 episodes was going to be tough. So I said 13 should be really what we shoot for. So now we're at 13. Things are really moving, going very smoothly. And not to flex or anything, but aren't we the longest-running star podcast? No, we oh, are not. Not we're yet. We're not, not. Not yet. yet. Okay. How close are we? Do you we know? are getting very close. Okay. So the thing is, is there's like the chapters of University Star history. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like look back a lot. But if you go on SoundCloud, you can go and find all the old archives of University Star podcast. There was a good time between about 2013 and 2015 where there was a lot of like really good content the star was putting out. But like all things, if you don't keep up the garden, the weeds start popping up. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what happened. The podcast side of university star kind of fell off and now we are trying to rebuild that so for the current administration the current podcast group we are the longest running podcast so we're the longest active yes okay okay i gotcha so yeah as you guys know um as far as texas state sports go uh we don't really have much going on at the moment we're in the kind of quiet it's very quiet around here a lot of people are home for the summer but what we do have going on is the women's world cup so zimbal you want to talk about give a rundown on that yeah we can uh so the women's world cup that has kicked off no pun intended <laughs> this last week and tech or uh, universe university doesn't have anybody in it but i think a lot of university students i've talked to a couple of people on the quad and stuff they're having cat camp kids are coming in and stuff like that and i actually stopped a couple of them and said hey are you watching the world cup because I'm not only a nerd about sports, but I'm also a nerd about sports media. And I mm-hmm. want to see if or you know, younger kids, 16, 17, 18, actually watching TV still. And from the groups that I talked to, a lot of them were. A lot of them still were watching the World Cup. So the United States played Thailand in their group. I think they're in Group F or Group E. Mm-hmm. Uh, group F, I want to say, they played Thailand. Coming into the game, the United States was the preemptive favorite in all of the teams they yeah. they look like the favorite uh they won the world cup the last time around so i think a lot of pressure was not pressure but a lot of stuff 2015 
was a year that the United States really broke the glass ceiling. They won their third, I think, World Cup title. Mm-hmm. So the, they're looking to be repeat champions that came in as favorites, and they just smacked Thailand. They scored three goals in the first half, and just being up 3-0 going into halftime, I think a lot of fans thought, okay, this is kind of – they're going to be able to keep this. Mm-hmm. They scored 10 goals in the second <laughs> half, Claire, and there was a time in about two minutes when they scored about three goals. So wow. the back – the backups for the United States going in, we kind of knew, and I don't, I don't have the roster in front of me, but going in, we knew that the backups were about as going to be as good as anybody's starters, right? Mm-hmm. The depth that this team has is probably their biggest strength, and the depth really showed out. And a lot of people were complaining about the United States celebrating after goal after goal after goal, and I don't know what your take is. I'm going to let, let you kind of have the first say in that. What, how do you feel about the United States celebrating after goal number seven? Yeah, so uh, that's actually what I was going to ask you in a minute. But uh, honestly, like, I'm all for, you know, giving, like, all you got whenever you're playing a game. You know, if you can score a goal, score a goal. But there is a limit, in my opinion. I think they kind of showboated a little really? bit Really? I do. Um, just because, I mean, as the favorites, as the people that are – uh, the team that is like most, I feel like prepared for the in the world. Like we were, we've uh, had a more long running team than a lot of different nations and stuff like that. So we're more prepared. We have uh, more funds, honestly, than a lot of different teams. And so, in my opinion, I feel like once you hit like goal number seven, goal number eight, you start making goals in two minutes. It's like a lot of fun to watch in a way, but it's also kind of bad sportsmanship. I don't know. Biggest diff- scoring differential in World Cup history. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest uh, shutout, most lopsided win in World Cup history as well. So what's interesting to me is that I kind of disagree with that, Claire, because okay. I think in my watching you know sports my entire life, mm-hmm. I've come to the kind of the conclusion that if the better the better team is going to always win, right? Yeah. But in baseball, we're not asking people to strike out when it's 12-0. In football, we're not asking you know quarterbacks or running backs to start kneeling in the fourth quarter. In international soccer, a lot of these girls that were playing, or a lot of these women that were playing, this is their first goal on the international stage. This is the first time they've played on the international stage. And I think it would be wrong for us to poo-poo them and say, no, you don't get to score in this game. If they have the opportunity, they should be able to score. And the other thing is, too, that especially in group stage where the point differential really matters mm-hmm. to get seeding uh, in the el- elimination rounds that come after this. Now the United States has a 13-goal lead on the point differential, and they have, I want to say, I think the next closest one is about four goals. Yeah. So they, they have a very large lead. So now if they end up winning a game, say 2-1, or you know winning another one 1-0, the, the point differential is going to be so high that they're going to get a better seeding. They're going to have a better chance of winning the World Cup, and which is the end goal. So to me, I again, the, I say a lot to say a little mm-hmm. that I, I didn't have much of a problem with them. Okay. Yeah, so I think you kind of beat me on the argument there. Um, <laughs> for me, it was just – honestly, it was just like an opinion because I, I don't know. I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable watching when there was like seven or eight runs, and my mom and I were texting about it because I think – and part of it's coming from whenever I played. Did um, you get beat a lot like that? So we've been – yeah. On yeah. the, the zero side of a 13-0 We've been loss. on the zero side, and it, after a while, it just feels like, like, why are you doing this? But I get on the, like, an international stage, I get how it's a little bit different, especially when each goal matters. So I see where you're coming from. I think it's just, like, 
a little bit of the like past loser in me is, <laughs> is like coming out and I don't know. And also just because we're a more developed team, it, it almost seems like we're rubbing it in their face a little bit. I don't know. That's I understand. I understand where you're coming yeah. from, but the, to me, it still didn't, it, them scoring that amount of goals at the end of the day, Thailand wasn't going to win no matter what. They weren't, yeah. So I, it helped the United States mm -hmm. and I'm never going to, I feel like a lot of people wanted to like pile on, with this women's team, mm -hmm. every time this United States women's team comes up in the news, whether it's them arguing for being able to play in better conditions mm -hmm. when they had to play on turf fields a lot, whether them asking for equal pay equal to pay. the men, it seems like every single time that the women's international team comes up in the conversation that everybody has an opinion. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why everybody was dogging on the United States women's team. Again, when you're the number one team in the world, that's going to happen. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I I don't have a, a big problem. That's true. Uh, like, like you were saying, like I feel like they do get a lot of hate for no apparent reason, and they've always been having this whole like they're fighting for equality, fighting for all these things. So now I feel kind of guilty for my opinion. <laughs> don't feel <laughs> guilty yeah. for your opinion. Claire. But still, I don't know. Maybe ten runs. I just think thirteen <laughs> is a little excessive. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. So anyway, to, to add on to this, I actually have a story of my own related to the Yeah, World I should Cup. I should have segued that. So yeah. let's let's segue that right now, Claire. So Claire, you have some experience playing on the international soccer stage, right? Yeah, I, I mean basically yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So um so I like I said before, I was on a team. Uh, I'm not gonna say we were always on the losing side because we weren't. Sometimes we were on the other side. But um so this team was the Fairfield or Freestone County Hispanic Women's Soccer Team. Um, that was the name of the team. We don't really have many leagues in Fairfield. I know we've already talked about my hometown <laughs> a lot. So I didn't get to play in high school, but I wanted to play somewhere. So I played on this team. I played with my mom and my sister. What? So what was this? <laughs> this was like an all-women's team? What was, what was the age group here? So the age demographic, I would say I was 14 when I started, and I was the youngest member of the team. And my mom was the oldest member of the team, and she was, like, 41. Wow, okay. Maybe 41 when I, or 42 uh -huh. when she started. And then so there was, like, a mix. Most people would probably be, like, seniors in high school to, like, 25. So we were definitely, like, outliers, but there were other people. It, it was a really unorganized league. There was a lot <laughs> going on. But long story short, I promise this has a point. Um, so uh, – we played a couple of college players sometimes because, like I said, there weren't that many leagues. And um, one of the JUCOs near us is Navarro uh, coming out of Corsicana. And so a lot of the Navarro players would play on different teams uh, in our league whenever their offseason was. And so I remember playing against these two players who, like, absolutely kicked our asses. Like, 100%, <laughs> no doubt about it. Like, they were just – they were incredible. And we knew we were, like, outmatched by a lot. Um, but fun fact, my mom did block one of their goals, so I want to put that out there for her. Um, but good job, Mom. Yeah, good job. I'm proud of you. She was the best player on our team. So, <laughs> But anyway, so um, I, remember, I vaguely remember these two players, and then my mom actually texted me the other day, and she said, guess what? And I was like, what? And she said, we played against two uh, <laughs> World Cup athletes. And I was like, what are you talking about? When would this have possibly happened? So it turns out we played against two uh, Navarro athletes who now are on the reggae girls Jamaican team. But this was like seven years ago now, right? Yeah. Okay. So they were in JUCO then, and then they moved on to uh, some D1 schools. I don't know which ones they are, but I know they're uh, 
Trudy Carter is the main one who I remember. And then uh, I think she was Denisha Blackwood. So both of them play on the World Cup right now. They're playing on that the world stage. And my mom can say she blocked a shot from Trudy Carter. That's crazy. This yeah. Is, this is like those kids that, you know, accidentally blocked LeBron's shot when he was like yeah. in middle school. Yeah, they get to like talk about it for the rest of their yeah. lives. Yeah. So congratulations <laughs> to your mom. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm proud of you, Claire. Thank That's you. Good. Yeah. I wish I remembered anything I did in those games. There's a lot of questions I need to ask you off air about your your childhood playing yeah. in Fairfield. Yeah. But next up, what do we have? So next next up, we've got Sean and Chando. He's going to talk about – he's doing this weekly segment where he talks about some of our opponents for the football season next next season. So he's going to talk about the Wyoming game and why it's kind of a turning point potentially for our season. And because nobody else is here, I get to sit in and be the co-host, be the co-pilot for Claire. The oh, yeah, the yeah. This is a little different because we've got two people manning the ship. So, yeah, Sean's coming on next. All right, so now I've got sports reporter Sean Enchando on. He's going to do his weekly series where he talks about uh, the upcoming football opponents for next season. So this week we're talking about uh, Wyoming. So, Sean, you want to kick it off? Yeah, so um, this will be the first home game to kick off the Jake Saville era. It's going to be Saturday night in San Marcos. So it will be the first home game. Um, I, would, I would assume it would be pretty electric. I've only been here, uh, this is going to be my third semester, so um, when I covered football, it was the opposite of electric, so I don't know, <laughs> I, I'm assuming the fans are going to show up, because I, I think people are excited about football, and it'll be, I mean, they're probably going to be coming off a pretty bad loss to Texas A&M, but I think people will, will be able to forgive them for that, um, and they're, they're playing the perfect opponent, they're playing Wyoming, who is, has a lot of question marks. Um, their offense isn't very good, and their defense is pretty decent. So I, I, I think it's, it should be a good matchup. So we've talked about Wyoming a lot um, in here in the newsroom and on the podcast and how it's going to be kind of an important game. And why do you think this game is one of the most crucial ones of the season? Well, it's very important. You set the tone. Like last year, they, there, there were games uh, where, where they lost close games, and if they win those games, the season's totally different. Like – you lose some games by like less than one, less than one touchdown. And I'm, I'm sorry, hold on. Yeah, I, I didn't have the call. Uh, yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. I was gonna, uh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, Go if you win some of those games, Withers is still the head coach right now. Like Ever Withers still oh, has yeah. his job if he wins the games that he needed to last year. Yeah, they they were they could have been a bolt. They like you. I think it was like two games where they lost by less than a touchdown. And you're in a bowl game. Withers is still here, so like winning this game is going to set the tone for the rest of the year. So I think you really need to you really need to go out and win this game. But it won't be the end of the year. But like it, it is important. So, Sean, Andrew here. Yes. Let's talk about the Wyoming Cowboys because this team you talk about them kind of not being a pushover, but they bring back a lot of pretty good pieces. I mean, Sean Chambers has been impressive. Uh, he was in uh, his four full games as a starter last year. He's a true was a true freshman last year. He comes in this season as a redshirt freshman, and yeah. I think he's going to start over the guy they had last year, Tyler Vanderwall. Look, uh, their head coach Craig Boyle has done an excellent job of setting Wyoming up for success, and I think that yeah. Wyoming, when we talk about their fan base, when we talk about Wyoming football in general, it is a sleeping giant 
kind of similar to Texas State in the fact that this is all they have in Wyoming. You go and you talk to the fans of Wyoming. Seriously, you go and talk to the fans of Wyoming, the people that live in the city, live in the states. Cheyenne is a beautiful city from what everybody tells me. But this is all they have. They, they don't watch NFL teams. They watch their team on Saturday. I think Wyoming has a very good chance of coming in San Marcos and kicking the shit out of us. I don't think so. They didn't score a lot of points. They, they had, uh, what was it, seven games where they couldn't score over 19 points. Also, you have a young quarterback. Sean Chambers was good last year. Uh, he's still a redshirt freshman, so they have that on their side. Uh, running back Nico Evans, um, they lost him to graduation. And you have uh, – um, so they have this other young running back who averaged over five yards per carry, uh, Xavier uh, Valade. I think that's how you say his name. Um, so I, I think they're going to be tough on uh, – probably like – they're going to be a tough running team as far as uh, – as far as a passing team, I, I, I don't think they're going to they're be an established passing team uh, second game of the year. So I think they have that on their side. They might be playing Wyoming at the perfect time. They got a really good defense, though, too, Sean, that I don't think a lot of people mm-hmm. give them credit for. Sean or Logan Wilson, their middle linebacker. They've got a defense yeah. that did a pretty good job last year of keeping the Mountain West in check at least. I think they only gave mm-hmm. up around 22 points per game. So Texas State, they're coming into a new era, the Jake Spavadol era of trying to put up a lot of points, the air raid offense coming into the Sunbelt Conference. So, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how the Texas State offense does against that Wyoming defense. Yeah, the thing about Wyoming is they they are returning eight of their top 12 tacklers last year. Um, but they are losing um, some key players in the secondary, Andrew Wingard and, and Marcus Epps. Um, their linebacking core is pretty good. Like you said with Logan Wilson, uh, they also have uh, Cash Malua, another name I think. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Uh, but other than those guys at linebackers, you got a lot of underclassmen coming in and just a lot of inexperience. So there's a lot of question marks over there. So I'm, I'm, I, if, if I'm Texas State, I think I'm, I'm still good going against this defense. I'm not feeling great. But they also don't know what they're going to be facing with Texas State's new offense. With only the well, we have, don't know what we uh, have with yeah. Texas State new offense. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's, it's such a it's such a question mark. It, it could be, it, it could definitely be a uh, that could be good for Texas State, or it could be really bad. But I I I feel good about this team. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid right now. But, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We we go down every single game, like because this is your weekly deal now where you're going to break down every single game but we're still months away from this kickoff to start the season let alone this season opener and the other thing is too that a lot of things can change if that a&m game goes say you know terribly and somebody gets hurt you know there's a lot of question marks and the other thing is too we talked about the question marks wyoming has texas state's football team has a ton of question marks too like we we don't Uh really even know who's going to be the starting quarterback we don't know jake spavadol from what everybody's told me is Publicly, he's telling people that this is going to be a really good team. Privately, from what I, from what I've heard, there's a lot of things going on in the background where people are worried that they're not going to be ready for opening day. Offensively, getting the playbook down. This is something that was on, talked about during the spring game, was that the offense, the players didn't look like they knew what they were doing. And Granted, it was a spring game, but still, uh-huh. over the summer, there's a lot of – it's a new head coach, it's new D.C. I think there's more question marks on the Texas State side of things 
than there is on the Wyoming yeah. side of things. Well, and I mean, what else is Spavadol going to say? You know, he has to say, you know, we're going to be a really good team. We're really not going to get any information from him, I feel, from just his press releases and him talking about it. Because yeah, the only thing that we're going to get from this team is the first eye test against the Aggies in uh, College Station. And again, when Sean was talking about this first game here against Wyoming. And this is the thing about college head coaches. You're the politician. You're the you're the head of the you're, you're the executive. You're gonna you're trying to sell this program to to um, the alum, the uh, the students. You want everyone to come out. You're not gonna go out and say, "Oh man, these guys don't know what the hell they're doing." Well, no, so, yeah, right. clearly you're not gonna do that, Sean. But still, at the same yeah. time, I'm telling you, like this is the facts. Is that there's a lot of questions mm-hmm. around the Texas State team. Yeah. And I feel Wyoming ha- is very similar in that not very similar, but they they have they have a lot of question marks too. So like it's it's going to be week two. You're you're a lot of question marks for two very young teams. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, you those are very good points. You this team, you like Bob Stitt, His offenses aren't really that complex. So, like, whenever I was talking to him, the, the last time I talked to him, he's, he was just kind of explaining that, like, they, these, these, these offenses are really based off of, uh, they, they're really simple. They're, they're nothing crazy. They're, they're really built for, for, for college students. That's why they're not, it's not an NFL type of offense. It's a college, the college offense. So I think, I don't think they're going to be, they're going to be humming just yet. I think they, we really won't see how good this offense is probably to like, week five or six. So, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, and you were talking about how uh, we're trying to sell Texas State's team. Spavadol's trying to sell the team. Do you think he's going to sell it effectively? Do you think we're going to see better fan turnout in this first game and in the season overall? Yeah, I think so. He's he's a great politician. Like at the, you saw him at all the basketball games. He was at the baseball games. Uh, he people see him around town. He's hanging out. He's a young face. People want he'll go and shake your hand. Right? I think people are really going to buy in early, but if they start losing, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, San Marcos will they'll, they'll give him a shot. Like the first year is just going to be all right. Well, we don't expect to be great, but we want to be better than last year, and we want to see signs of being better. All right. Well, so you know we've got a lot of question marks on either side, but it'll be interesting to see you know if this is really a turning point that goes for the good for the Bobcats or maybe goes back down the path that we've seen before. But hopefully, I think yeah. I think we've got some hope out here. But uh, yeah, thanks for talking to us, Sean. Uh, Sean, who do we have next week? Uh, we have SMU. Um, it's at SMU, so that one's gonna be fun. Um, we're gonna be saying Shane Bouchelle. All right. I haven't started. I haven't started looking into him yet, but I I know that Jamie Shell's at SMU, so that that <laughs> won't be fun for Texas State because I think SMU is like one of those really good mid majors or up and coming or whatever you call them. I, I I think I don't think this is get. I don't think this is a very good matchup for Texas State. But yeah, I don't know. Well, well, I'll look into him and maybe it'll change my mind. We'll see. Thanks, Sean. Uh, thank you. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, so now we're going to talk a little bit about some of these basketball camps that are going on, uh, you know, for these uh, local kids and stuff uh, that Texas State is hosting. Yeah, because Jacob's not here, we can't have just our BS segment. So <laughs> we can talk, we, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, women's basketball team. So 
I'm a big fan of uh, Coach Paige Love and of Coach Zenery Antoine, of course. And Texas State right now is having a really good basketball camp at Strahan. They're doing a really good job of kind of outreach to like the local youth and just the youth in general. And the thing about Texas State is, A, we live in paradise. It's nice. But True. when you compare it to, say, a Texas or a Baylor, other powerhouse women's basketball programs in the state, it's going to be tough to continually try to bring players to Texas State, right? So we got lucky with the Holly Twins, Brooke and Bailey, where I think either one of them could have gone to a bigger school. They ended up coming here. Tasha Levitt was kind of a now graduated, but she was kind of a diamond in the rough. I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people expected that. Taylor Deer would be a starter on any other team in the country, former Texas State basketball women's player. Um, but it's going to be hard to continue now that we're in a recruiting battle with the other great programs in the Sunbelt Conference. Texas State's really having to start young. And the beauty is that these aren't NCAA violations and that you can have these little camps. And I don't know about you, but when I got my first college T-shirt, it really did leave an imprint on me. I don't mm-hmm. know where where what your first one was, but mine was TCU. Okay. So when I was little, I got a TCU shirt. And then for the next like seven years, I thought oh, I was going to be a horn frog. <laughs> Seriously. And stuff like that really, I think, makes an imp- imprint. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go get five-star players. We're not going to go get the seven-footer in Odessa or, you know, the lightning quick guard playing in the Fort Worth area, right? But we're going to go get the players that are good players, good people, and that's what I think Texas State women's basketball, that's a cornerstone of the program. So it's really good that they are able to have these little camps and stuff that I think bring players in and make an impact, a lasting impact. Well, I think also um, when I was doing my international athlete story, I actually asked them, you know, why they chose to come here. And especially because Texas State isn't really known as as one of those powerhouses in most of our sports. Um And what I learned was that the coaches, like probably through some of these camps and other things, these coaches are really good at making a relationship happen between them and the athletes. They really care about them in a way that I think is a little different from most schools. So that's some of the strengths I think we have to play on since we're not known for like our, you know, we're not going to get the the first pick overall. And, you know, I give the coach a hard time. I give Mm -hmm. all the Texas State programs a hard time of like, you know, being a nice guy is nice, but we need to win games. Yeah. And I think that for the last couple of years that there have been more nice guys than there have been winners. And I think slowly but surely the nice guys are starting to win. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks, Zimmel, again. Uh, thanks for listening to Cat Scott or Tongues, guys.